Even in death, not everything is what it appears to be. Welcome to Crime Over Cocktails. I'm Tiffany, your host, and today we're going to cover the case of Deborah Holden and Tim Noble. Well, I drink my vodka. I know, shocker. I'm sorry, y'all. I just love me some vodka. And my yellow lemonade. I'm already out of the pink, and I gotta go find more. Deborah Holden, age 58, was a sweet and nurturing person. She was the only girl in a family of four boys. She was living in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and everyone said she was a real hard worker. She loved being around people. But after two bad car accidents, Deborah was really never the same. The first one, she ended up tearing her stomach. She broke her tibia, her ankle, and it even damaged her liver. Her family wasn't sure if she was going to pull through. And then a couple years later, she got into another accident. But this one was really bad. She was on her way to work and she got T-boned head on. It ended up flipping her car. She broke her neck and this one just really seemed to hurt her emotionally. She was very depressed and she was always in pain. Although Deborah was once divorced, she never gave up on the thought of love. Her parents decided that they wanted to set her up on a date with a man that they met at the Moose Lodge. His name was Tim Noble, 59-year-old. He was a plumber and they thought of him as a good old country boy. And the two really seemed to hit it off. Tim was widowed and was looking for love as well. So you fast forwarded eight years, they're still together, they're living together. And Deborah had recently gotten the one thing that she really wanted, and that was a ring. They were finally engaged. She was so happy. She loved her ring. She was excited. She couldn't wait to help plan it and to be the beautiful bride again. But unfortunately, that day would never come for Deborah because Halloween night in 2014, Tim came home to 2436 Dawson Cabin Road around 10 p.m. Tim was just getting home from work. So he walks in the door and he sees Deborah laying on the couch and figured, you know, she's probably taking a nap. And he walks over to her so he could, hey honey, I'm home, that kind of shit. And he noticed that there was a single gunshot wound to her head. The 38 caliber gun was laying on the floor on like kind of over by the couch under her body. Her arms were folded out in front of her body. And her legs were like almost hanging off the couch. He called 911 and told dispatch that he found his girlfriend and that she had taken her own life. When police arrived, Detective Sergeant Ben Foy was the first to respond. He looked over the crime scene and it appeared to be that, just a suicide. You know, the gun was where it should be. Nothing looked suspicious. Didn't look like there had been a struggle. No force of entry into the home. One thing that they did notice, though, that caught them off guard was that the blood splatter on her face was going in two different directions. That kind of puzzled them. They didn't understand how could that be. She looked peaceful. She looked as if she was just sleeping. If it wasn't for the gunshot wound, they wait for the crime scene text to arrive and for the body to be removed because... Because they also don't have the bullet. So, you know, they're figuring it must be in the couch. It's it's somewhere. Once her body was removed from the couch, though, the case would take a very interesting turn. There was no bullet. How can you have a gunshot wound? There was a clear exit wound, but it wasn't there. They looked in the couch. They looked in her hair. They looked in her clothes. No bullet. 
Now they're really lost. Clones just don't disappear. They don't disintegrate. On November 1st, she arrived at the coroner's and they did an x-ray of her head. Just to be sure, there's no bullet in her head. Just fragments. That bullet had left her head completely clean. They are hella perplexed. What did we miss? I mean, even though there's no bullet, they rule her death as a suicide. It looks like a suicide. Everything points to suicide, except for the bullet. I think that's kind of a uh, important part of the case, but... Her brother Mitch and his wife, they head to the house when they get the news and, you know, they want to talk to Tim. They want to give him condolences, you know, this this was his fiance. And they also, they just didn't understand how or why Deborah would do this. Deborah was very religious, so they were not really sold on the whole suicide theory because they knew with their belief, you just don't do that. Tim told the police it was because she was so depressed from the pain she was in from the two car accidents that, you know, she really never got over them. Even though these were about 30 years ago, she she's still in pain. He also does come clean and say that he had just let Deborah know that he was having an affair and that this had hit Deborah very hard. So he's saying between, you know, being in chronic pain, being depressed, and now finding out about an affair, that was just the tip of the iceberg for her. While they were at the house, her sister-in-law did notice that Tim was walking a little different. He seemed to have a limp, but she kind of like wrote it off because she's like, oh, well, probably twisted it. Maybe he stepped in a hole. I mean, he's a plumber. You know what I mean? How much shit do they walk in? <laughs> but um, bum Sorry. <laughs> you gotta admit that was pretty good. Four days later, November 4th, Detective Foy gets a call from a hospital that was about 24 miles away from the home that Deborah and Tim shared. Tim was at the hospital. You ready for this? He's got a gunshot wound to his thigh. His story to the doctor was that he was at a bonfire and I guess... Some idiot would throw gun ammo into the bonfire, caused bullets to explode and just fly all over the place, and he ended up getting hit with one. Okay, first of all, (laughs) where's your buddies? Because there's no way in hell you're the only one who would have gotten hit if someone threw a bunch of freaking ammo into the bonfire. So, a little sketchy if you ask me. By the time Detective Foy gets to the hospital and he starts talking to the doctor because, I mean, clearly he wants to hear how the hell did he get a gunshot wound. Tim gets dressed and leaves the hospital before they could even remove the bullet. So now they're really interested. Like, why did he just haul ass right now? We're just asking what's going on. And they realize maybe it's time to look over the crime scene again. They go over the photos that were taken by the crime scene techs and they notice that between the start of the couch and where her head was placed on the couch, it was more than enough room for a person to be able to sit there. And it was also kind of the way she was positioned. Remember how her hands were high up? She was probably laying on her hands, laying on something. See where I'm going with this? So now they're starting to put pieces together and they're starting to wonder, did Tim really come home, sit on the couch, and then shoot Deborah? He probably thought it would stay in her head. He didn't think that it would exit her head and end up in his thigh. He thought this was going to be a clean break. So now they know they need to find Tim. 
So they can get this bullet out of him so they can compare ballistics to see if this is in fact the bullet that killed Deborah. They also know by now they definitely need to call the funeral home that was holding her to be cremated. The funeral was already planned. People are flying in from all over the place and nobody's really saying much to the family other than we need her back. And of course the family, they're annoyed, I'm sure frustrated and confused. Like, what do you know that we don't know? But at the same time, they want justice. And the whole family really didn't believe that Deborah did this. So they're thinking, clearly police have a motive for wanting her body back. Let's give it back and maybe something's gonna come out of this. So they let them pick up the body. They take her back to the medical examiner at Asma Memorial Hospital and they decided this time that they were gonna shave her head. They wanted to see the angle of the bullet and to see if there was contact from the gun itself. They could see the bullet fragments were embedded in her skin, which shows that there was a lot of force. And it even looked like the gun could have possibly been upside down. How can you shoot yourself with a gun upside down? So the ruling of death was then changed from suicide to homicide. They find Tim and they bring him in for questioning. And as they're starting to ask more and more questions, they're seeing more and more sweat pouring out of this guy. And you know, they're asking him about this so-called bonfire. Who else was there? Give me a name. Can you, one person, you got one person. He got shit, he had nothing. But as they're just sitting there talking to him, all of a sudden he's starting to kind of nod in and out and he passes out right there in the chair. So they're trying to wake the guy up like, hey, hey buddy, you okay, you good? Hey, hey, he urinates all over himself in the floor of the interview room. Now, you would think this would be like, yo, I'm gonna take, this is my out, I gotta go home, I gotta shower, see my urologist, I don't know, something. But he tells them like, ah, I'm cool to continue. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're soaked in urine. But I, hey, you know what? It is what it is, and he kept going. They have police and detectives out there trying to get details about what was really going on in his life. While they have him in custody, you gotta try to do as much as you can. They seize his computers and they find that there were searches for poisons, cyanide, and something called the peaceful pill that I guess kills you. Authorities also speak with the woman that Tim was having an affair with, Carrie Strange. And they learned that he was also engaged to her, swear to God. In fact, they noted there was a huge rock on this girl's hand, compared nothing to Deborah's ring. Terry told them that they were originally scheduled to be married on October 25th, 2014. That's like a week before Deborah's death, but that they had to postpone it to November 5th of 2014. Police also decide that they're gonna check right on the corner of their road. They lived on a dead end. So, I mean, what goes in must come out, but right on that corner when you're coming out is an Exxon. So they decided to stop there to see if they had working cameras because if so, and if it was where they needed it to be, it's gonna give them a clear view of Tim. Was he telling the truth? Turns out they were in luck. The cameras were working and what they observe is that he did in fact drive home that day when he said he was at work. So right now they caught him in another lie. You got the searches. You know now the man's got a bullet in his leg. He lied about his alibi. 
He was engaged to two women. I mean, after all this evidence, they told Tim pretty much, the jig's up. Like, come on. And finally, after some convincing, he does admit that, in fact, he did come home at lunch. But he insisted that he came home, he made himself a sandwich, he likes to watch TV, you know, put his feet up, and that Beth laid on his lap while he napped, and she took a nap, or so he thought. And then he was woken up to the gunshot because... The bullet traveled into his thigh. Not to mention, I'm sure it was loud as shit. And he started the story again, you know? She was very depressed. She was in two car accidents. And he told them that he came clean about his affair with Terry on 10-25, which was pretty much about a week before she killed herself. I mean, that's the day they were supposed to get married. So, it it makes sense. He told her about the affair because... He hoped that she would be very upset and that she would move out and leave him. And then he could marry his other fiance. But it was when she wouldn't leave. She didn't want to give up on this marriage. She wanted to fight for it that he had to postpone it. They take Tim back to the hospital so they can remove the bullet for ballistics. And this lucky bastard, he can't have it removed because it was one centimeter away from a femoral artery. It would kill him. (laughs) You know that he was like, (laughs) try to get me now, suckers. Well, they don't give up that easy. So plan B was to hire an expert and he was going to use plywood and make it to the thickness of like an actual human skull. And they wanted to see what it would look like. So they do the test and then they compare the x-ray from the plywood and the x-ray from his thigh. They are a perfect match. Nine months after the tragic death of Deborah, Tim Noble was charged with first-degree murder and held without bail. June 5th, 2017, two years after her death, his trial started. During his trial, the defense argued that Deborah took her own life because she was depressed after dealing with chronic pain for close to 30 years and from learning about the affair. Prosecutors said that Tim was motivated by lust and by presenting a mountain of circumstances substantial evidence against him, including the fact that Deborah didn't even have gunshot residue on her hand at the time of her death. Unless she gloved up, shot herself, then ungloved, and somehow got rid of the glove, there's no way in hell you can fire a gun and not have residue on your hand. Believe it or not, Tim took the stand in his defense. He had a two-hour testimony, and pretty much his answers for the most part were either I don't recall or I can't remember. And he answered that more times than answering the prosecutor's questions. So they were getting fucking annoyed. But he did admit, I told a lot of lies, and he testified that he was seeking sex. Turns out that him and Terry actually, like, knew each other way before him and Deborah even got together. So I'm not really sure from where. None of my sources said if it was, like, school or what, but... She did know him before Deborah did, but they weren't together. They show that in July of 2014, Tim paid cash for a $3,500 engagement ring for Terry. And she was also making plans for the wedding. She was making a guest list. And she was even including all the members of his family to take place in the Eden Crest and Smoky Mountains near Pigeon Ford, Tennessee. 
She had everything all worked out. He had also loaned Terry his $52,000 Lincoln Navigator to use while she's caring for all these relatives coming out of the area. But despite of her planning this wedding, him giving up his personal property, you know, she's gonna move in. Nothing was what it appeared to be there either. He said on the stand that he was never gonna marry Terry. And when he was asked for his reason for making the purchase and stating such a claim, he said it was for sex. Tim also testified that he used to bring lunch to Terry at work and the couple would exchange text messages and he would refer to her in those text messages as Miss Noble, making her think that she's going to be, in fact, the next Miss Noble. But when he was asked on the stand, did you shoot Deborah Holden? He replied, no, sir. If I wanted her gone, I would have told her to go. I I don't know if I uh, buy that. I mean, come on. So you're telling two different women all this shit and you didn't plan on really fucking marrying either of them? Who's got $3,500 just to put down on a ring that's never going to be used? And if I was Terry in that courtroom, I'd be pissed as fuck. (laughs) Just saying. Terry did have an alibi for the night that Deborah died, so they had ruled her out of any kind of being a suspect. On June 22nd of 2017, the jury found him guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life without parole. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to tell you guys I appreciate it so much. I really do the love and the support. Couldn't do it without you guys. Don't forget all the ways that you can listen. Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your podcast. While there, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, or give that five-star review. I am on Instagram and Facebook. And you can always go over to crimeovercocktails.com. That's where you can also listen to the episodes. You can become a Patreon if you like. First tier is $1. That is $12 a year. They do also take PayPal, which is a secure way to pay. I've never had any issue with PayPal. But also, if you want to check out the merch. Alright, you guys. Thanks again for joining me, and we'll talk crime another time. Bye.